You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, great to have you join us here in person. Those watching online, one of the shelters, we're just blessed to have you uh, join us today. My name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor, and we'll introduce Rick here in a minute. Uh, I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you so much for supporting our Calvary Cares teams and our trips. Uh, You just heard from our Romania team. We have three more teams going out this year to uh, Chestnut Mountain Ranch, the Boys Ranch in West Virginia later this month, and then in July, August, uh, there'll be, no, July is the Chestnut Mountain Ranch, then August we'll be uh, sending a team to Alaska, and then in September to Africa. And so thank you for, uh, one, being part of uh, the trips. If you haven't gone on a trip before, uh, this year might be too late, but I would encourage you to pray about going next year. Our hope, our vision, our, our desire is that every person at Calvary will go on a trip at least once in their lifetime. Why? Because you get to make an impact, but even more than that, it changes your life. I promise you, it will change your life. So thank you so much for, uh, for all uh, that you're doing to help us uh, continue to send teams. So today, we are continuing a series. We started last week, if you weren't with us, called Talking About My Generation. And we're talking about the different generations present in the world and in the church. And you're like, well, why are we even talking about this? Like, what's the big deal? There's a, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says that we should spur one another on toward good deeds and that we should not forsake or neglect the gathering together. And, and there's something that, as Americans, that we can miss about scripture and about following Jesus. And, and oftentimes what we miss is we get this mindset that following Jesus is an isolated, individualistic thing. Like, I need to do this on my own. I need to learn this. I need to grow in this. And we miss something that was ingrained in that Middle Eastern culture when the early church was started, which is the communal factor, that it's all of us working together. You might be really strong and capable, but you still need each other. we still need each other. And uh, when we talk about needing each other, oftentimes the greatest point of growth happens when there's conflict, when there's differences. And uh, last week, if you were with us, I asked you, kind of gave you some homework and got to hear from so many of you. And the homework was, I want you to go find someone from a different generation, older or younger, and I want you to ask them these questions and then email me. And got uh, so many emails and responses back and some people recognized that that interaction wasn't the way they thought it would happen. Some people thought, hey, I'll just sit down with them. And they're like, how about you just text me and we'll do it that way. And you can figure out the generations that were present there. But... um, uh, everyone responded differently, and I think one of the things that I uh, appreciate about the responses I got back was that there were things that reframed what's happening in the world from a different angle, from a different generation. There were things that stabilized what they thought was happening and seemed chaotic, and, and the wisdom of an older generation was able to speak into that. And uh, I would encourage you to continue to look for those opportunities. Have a conversation with someone who's younger, someone who's older, someone from a different generation. And uh, Rick and I here, we're from the same generation, Yes. Just uh, we were born just a few years apart. A couple of years. Just yeah. a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I asked Rick, he's become a really good friend, and Rick's been going to church here now for a few years and um, has such an incredible wealth of experience and wisdom. And uh, today we're talking about our strengths and leaning into our strengths. And, and uh, we're going to kind of have more of a dialogue about this today. But uh, Rick, he, uh, last month we did a series called The Safest Place on Earth. It's based on a book written by Dr. Larry Crabb. And, and Rick was uh, trained uh, by Larry Crabb, but also worked alongside one of the great theologians of our time, R.C. Sproul. 
and, um, and uh, served as a development director at Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation for a while, and today is just investing in people, and young leaders like myself and others, and uh, Rick has, his dream you shared with me earlier, I think this was such a cool dream, um, but I think you did far greater things. Uh, his dream was to do stand-up comedy and to open for who? The Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones, of yeah. course. Of course. Um, uh, my, my goal uh, was to, you know, do stand-up comedy and open for DC Talk. If you don't know who DC <laughs> Talk is, then I'm sorry. But uh, never had that opportunity. But uh, uh, it's so good to have you with us. And my, I was ex so excited when uh, you agreed to be part of this a few months ago. And... Um, I was excited because uh, you usually sit up there. I do. And now you get to sit down here, yeah. and everyone gets to hear the wealth, the rich wisdom that you have to offer. And it is just so amazing about our church. You never know who's sitting near you, around you. There's so much wisdom and experience yeah. and uh, amazing people yeah. in this church, and you're just one of, the, one of the amazing examples of that. That's very flattering, Nick. Uh, I, I tend to know myself differently. Yeah which means I've, I've had to learn and grow and change and mature and learn my whole life. And the best way to acquire wisdom is to, uh, so that you can make good decisions. Yeah. And the best way to make good decisions is make a whole bunch of bad decisions. And so I, I'm, I'm aware of both, that I've, I've, I've had to learn through my failures. And actually, <clears throat> it's important uh, that, that uh, I want to communicate to you my understanding of sin. Sin is separation. It's separation from God. It's separation from ourselves and others in the world. And so much of what happens that matters most is how we connect. If you want to heal, parts of us break off. You know, we're hurt, we were traumatized, we break off. But the, the way healing occurs is through connection. Yeah. Connection. And that's, that's what's allowed me to be here today and to have gotten to know Nick. And it's a privilege to be here with you. It really is a privilege. One of the things that oftentimes keeps that connection from happening, and, and we see this individually, we see this generationally, is we see the faults, and we, mm -hmm. see, we see the errors in others, and we're like, well, I can't be around that, they, they drive me nuts, or, you know, they keep talking about that TikTok thing and I'm sick of it, or all they tell me about is what things were like way back when, and, um, and we, we, we focus and kind of narrow in on the differences, and we miss the incredible strengths they bring we, to the table, right? We miss right? each other, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, 79 years ago, this past week, maybe you know this, June 6, 1944, uh, over 150,000 soldiers stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, for what would become the largest military invasion in, in history, human history. Uh, we, we know today is D-Day, of course, and uh, that invasion effectively brought allied forces into German-controlled France, sparking this massive victory in World War II. Uh, but what was interesting about D-Day was it wasn't just a, a win of a battle. It, it shifted something. What has become known, of course, as D-Day would be one of the massive turning points for the Allied Forces' efforts in the European theater of conflict in World War II. 
while the war had been going on for almost five years at this point, the VE Day or Victory in Europe Day uh, would happen less than a year after this invasion on May 8th, 1945. And what made D-Day so impressive wasn't simply the military strategy, uh, although if you've ever studied it or, or watched any documentaries or read about it, it was pretty incredible. It was actually the collaboration of so many different groups, so many different elements. <clears throat> this invasion would include soldiers from 13 different countries, including America, Great Britain, Canada, Australia, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, the Netherlands, France, Greece, New Zealand, Norway, Rhodesia, and Poland. And not only were there different countries, but from those countries, there was naval, air, and ground support. Uh, these 150,000 plus soldiers then landed on five different beaches in Normandy, Utah, Omaha, uh, Gold, Juno, and Sword. And the remarkable feat of D-Day was the ability to recognize the strengths that each country, each military branch, and each battalion brought to the table, and then maximize those strengths toward their ultimate goal of not just winning a battle, but ultimately winning the war. That challenge was placed on the shoulder, soldier, so, shoulders of commanding officer General Dwight D. Eisenhower. And General Eisenhower navigated these incredibly complex circumstances and resources to pull off this invasion with amazing precision. And as history has shown us, what made this invasion so effective wasn't simply that they completed the invasion, but that the invasion led them toward their ultimate goal of winning the war. This was the tension that Eisenhower repeatedly faced throughout this war. What, what made him such a great leader and general in World War II was his ability to continually prioritize winning the war over simply winning a battle. And, and this is the challenge we wanna talk about today, is oftentimes we focus on winning the battle, uh, maybe winning in the moment, and we miss the bigger picture, winning the war. Uh, and, and we might not be, you know, none of us might be directing 150,000 troops going into an invasion, but we're, we're, we're dealing with other things. We're, we're facing, you know, continual tension between the now and the not yet. The things that are happening now and the things that we hope to see in the future, the not yet. Whether it's our finances, our work projects, how we take care of our homes or ourselves, when we prioritize the now over the not yet, we generally end up sacrificing a long-term goal for an immediate win. And how have you seen that happen, Rick, in your life, of the, the, the sacrificing the now for the not yet, or the opposite, sacrificing the not yet, the stuff in the future, the bigger picture, the war, for the sake of the battle, the, the, the momentary things? That's a great question. Um, I, I think of Martin Luther, who, uh, who uh, said that Israel made a major error in judgment. As a, as a religious uh, group, that they focused on the rightness of their cause rather than the mercy of God. And uh, I think there's a choice here uh, as we stand in the truth with love, and that is, do I want to be right or do I want to be in relationship? Truth and love. Truth and love. Do I want to be right or do I want to be in relationship? And the difference that makes, in, that makes a difference is things happen over time, Nick. And when I talk about a relationship, I'm talking about a relationship with God. I'm talking about a relationship with myself. I'm talking about a relationship with you. So we've got to keep the long-term view in mind. The long-term view in mind. But live in the present. 
live in the present with full awareness, being who we are, where we are, as we are with who we're with right now. So I, I think there's a different ways that you can think about uh, time. <clears throat> and one of those is finite. And in, in finite time, it's like we're playing a game and you play a game you want to win. And it's got uh, four quarters and a scoreboard and nothing wrong with that. It's very appropriate, but it's a finite game. But in our lives, we need to play an infinite game. And in an infant game, you don't play to win, you play to keep playing. You play to keep playing. And what I've discovered, most importantly, is there's a way to keep playing. And it's true generationally, and it's true motivationally. Okay? Yeah. Now, hopefully, that, that, that it creates some curiosity. I, th I think what I love about that idea, you see, uh, you know, what you're talking about in Scripture, like God isn't focused on one moment just. Yeah. He has this bigger goal, yeah. this bigger purpose, yeah. this long view. And yeah. if you think about it, thousands of years ago, the book, the Bible, different books of the Bible started to be written. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born, you know, was crucified, rose again, and, and we're still working toward that big picture goal, mm -hmm. which in scripture, we sometimes think that big picture goal is like establishing the church or giving us religious roles or giving us a, a sense of what we're supposed to do and like what we're obligated to. Like I feel obligated to do stuff, what does the Bible say I'm obligated to do? But, but that's not like the goal of scripture. The goal of scripture is ultimately the redemption of mankind from yes. what sin has broken. Like that's the bigger picture goal. That's, that's the war, if you were. Like the, the battle, sometimes we can get lost in that, the moments and the struggles and the difficulties but the war, the, like what God is really trying to accomplish, the long view of what he's trying to do is to redeem the world. And when, we, when you bring this into like the generations, uh, God isn't trying to just get us all to love each other and get along. Like God's goal isn't just that we'd all, you know, uh, put on white robes and sing kumbaya and, yeah. you know, uh, that, that's, not, that's not the intent. The goal ultimately is to help us work together toward his purpose of redeeming the world from what sin yeah. has broken, from what we've lost. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I, <clears throat> it, uh, working together, my daughter Amy and I work together and we have a, a curriculum, a way that we engage other people uh, that is called working together. And it's a, a collaborative, human or people operating system. And it's an important, what's underneath this is you do have to keep the end in mind and you do have to live in the moment. There's this understanding that, and I want to ground this a little bit, <clears throat> but the aspects of things that are most important to us we don't have to figure out. They're already present and they're in plain sight. They're just hidden. Why, why are they hidden? They're hidden because of two reasons. One, uh, they're very simple. And secondly, they're familiar. 
they're familiar. And we get used to them. And we like don't white see. noise. It's, it's like white noise, yeah. And we form habits around it. I mean, religion has a downside to it, and it gets institutionalized. And we have church. A church is a gathering to engage one another and worship the true God. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. But after a while, it becomes a habit. It's a holy habit. And we have to wake up and remember who we are, why we're here, and who we belong to. My kids and I, when I was raised, Dodie and I were raising our kids, and that was what we would say. Remember who you are and who you belong to. And you'll know how to be and what to do. But it's that constant waking up to that. It's, it's remembering the why. It's, it's, it's why are we here? It's, it's remembering the why, Nick, but it's remembering the who. Yeah. And I want to tie that into generations. Why and who. My, my generation, I, I've had two real generational experiences. Of uh, One was immediately this morning when I saw Mike, who was up here earlier. And Mike was the first person I met here. And we connected. He, I remember him. I remember seeing his eyes when I mean, he was looking in my eyes. And I said, what do you hold and what do you practice about the Bible? And he simply said, it's true. I said, how do you make it real? He said, well, it's inerrant. You make it real by living your life in Christ and living your life out in relationship with others and the work you do. Now, that's not what you said, Mike, but that's what I got. And you hooked me. You hooked me, so I came back. So I came back. And <clears throat> generationally, that, I, I, I met Mike, and then this morning I met Michael, mm -hmm. and, and then I met Emma. Three generations. And in fact, something I want to do with you as we end our time today <clears throat> is I got at the heart of <clears throat> what are you really good at? What is your positive motivational core? And as he explained how he became a pastor here, I said, what do you love most? And he said, I love visiting hospital. I love meeting people's needs. And I'm so good at it because I spent so much time when I was younger, okay, mm. being around a hospital. Yeah. And I asked him what he did well. And he said, well, I love being there and being with them and being the hands and feet of Jesus. I says, how do you do it? And he gave me a beautiful example. He says, I get to be where no one else is and be the hands, <coughs> excuse me, the hands and feet of people. And why am I telling you this? <clears throat> I'm telling you this because it's all about relationships and it's all about knowing and investing in the positive core yeah. of who we are, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So I get, what I'm doing here is I want to give you a different place to stand as we're here, but a different perspective. What's so, what's so wild, Nick, is I'm used to being up there mm -hmm. with, with Reed and, and Clark and Ada, and I'm down here, and it changes everything. I get to see you, you get to see me, and I get to witness you, I get to wake up, and I get to make shifts. And the shift is I have to, I'm engaging you in talking this morning and I'm just letting myself know. And you go, good heavens, what is this man talking about? Mm -hmm. But it's real. 
I'm not religious. I want to say this. I'm not religious. I, I have found I'm a member of another church, but I'm an attender here. <clears throat> but I find that religion gets institutionalized and institutionalized. It tends to force things on people. And there's judgments and har- hurt is done and harm is created. Does that make sense? Yeah. In some, not all. But you use the word redemption. We're to be redemptive. We live in a redemptive reality. Right now, we're living in this redemptive reality, and it's only revealed through relationship. And it comes down from one family to the next family to the next family. And I, I could go, maybe sometime I can tell my story. Yeah, yeah. But it happened to me, it's happened to my daughter, it's happened to my son. And uh, as my son Reed said, and Reed, if you haven't told the kids a story in your family, <clears throat> he fell off a back balcony, yeah. hard fall, yeah. broke his hip, but it was a high bounce. Mm-hmm. He said, Dad, God got my attention. Mm-hmm. I knew who I wanted to be and how to be that person in Christ. I think it's a remarkable now, now, I, I, am I, Is this helpful? Yeah, yeah, Are we yeah, getting where you good. want? Yeah, what yeah. do you make of this? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, Tell me what you're hearing what, you, is valuable What I think is you. amazing is uh, hearing your story you know, with your kids and, uh, and getting to meet some of the men that have been a big part of your life, yeah. spiritual journey, yeah. um, is how God, in sometimes our naivety, uh, has put people around us yes. and put people in our lives. And, and even beyond that, and I think this is really powerful, has put us in times you know, any of us could have been born a different generation. We could have been born a different era. We could have been born, you know, during the time of Moses, or we could have been born during the time of John Wesley. But we were born, we, we've lived this life for this moment. Yeah. And, and sometimes we, I think the challenge, the struggle is we disconnect God's sovereignty, his sovereign hand, from our experience, yes. but, but, but it's, it's, a, it's both and, it's not yes. either or. Like you were talking about, it's, it's both being present in the now, but also recognizing the not yet, like what's, what's up ahead. Yes. And I, I think in scripture you see all of these men and women who did remarkable things that God meticulously has placed them where he did for a reason, like not by an accident. God has placed you where he has for a reason. He's placed me and he's placed each of you like where he has for a reason. And, and he's positioned us, why? Uh, he's positioned us for a purpose. And I love this question that uh, uh, Esther, Esther's cousin Mordecai asks of her. And it's in Esther 4, 14. And uh, he says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And uh, I, 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 that question just rings in my ear, my head. It's like, who knows that you were placed where you were for a really divine purpose, that you were placed in my life yes. for a divine purpose, yes. and yes. that I got to be placed in your life for a divine purpose, and, and that each of you were placed in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in the family, and in, in the interactions with people for a divine purpose. And, and, and I kind of turned that question back on us, that who knows if you are in your current position for such a time as this, that maybe, maybe you, uh, you, know, you, you feel like you're past your prime, yeah. Like, like you feel like your best years are behind you or, or maybe you feel like you have all these dreams and desires for your life and you wonder if any of them will ever happen, any of them will ever be fulfilled or, or, or maybe you wonder if, if you have anything left to offer this world. And all those questions, what if, what if you were placed at this time 
for a purpose. What do you, what do you think of that? Well, it's, it's, it's the heart of the matter. Yeah. It's the head, the yeah. heart, and the will of the matter is the why. But, you, but uh, as I shared earlier with my kids, you have to know who you are and who you belong to. And that lets you know uh, uh, how you're to be and what you're to do. Now, that, that's a high-level statement. Yeah. But my prayer that has come to me over time is, is Lord, lead me according to the way you've made me, according to how you've uniquely designed me. What do you, what do you me. mean by that? Well, I'm, I'm going to get there. Yeah, let, me finish the, <laughs> let me finish the prayer, okay? <clears throat> how, you have, have, how you have made me, but then how you have redeemed me. You see me complete in you, and you're taking every moment of every day to conform me how you already see me. So I'm maturing. So, so even sin, my ego will, works together for good because I can witness it and wake up and shift and say, wait a minute. This isn't who I am. This is who I am. I'm out of character. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the Lord leads me this way. Now, and then I pray, who should I be with and how should I be with them? Now, that's a prayer. But you have to do that from a place of open, honest willingness. Is this connecting? Yeah. Now, the beauty of it is, remember, things that are most important are clearly hidden in plain sight. And they're simple and familiar. So purpose is already in us. We're designed for purpose. We're made by God for that. We're, we're made by God. We're designed for it and we're redeemed for it. Now, how do you know that? Well, it's through very simple things. It's a very simple way. And I'd like to talk about, again, that God leads us according to the ways he's made us and, 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 and has redeemed us. But if you want to know what your purpose is and you already know it, then I'll give you three questions to ask. May I? Yeah, yeah. Are we getting there? Go for it, yep, yep, go for it. Okay. When I at my best, what do I enjoy doing? What do I believe I do well? And what do I find deeply satisfying? Let me state it again. What do I enjoy doing? What do I believe I do well? And what do I find deeply satisfying? I'm going to ask you to pause a moment. Is it okay if we pause? And then you can direct me because yeah. you don't want me steering the ship. <laughs> you want to keep my rudder under your guidance, okay? <clears throat> but... <clears throat> But pause a moment, and when you pause, pause is the most important thing we do in our lives. Between something that happens and the next thing, between action and reaction and stimulus and response, there's this little space, and if we pause in that space and we make it big, we come to our senses. Huh? We know what's going on. We know, uh, so what really matters? And we, and, and we can say, now what do I do? We can make wise choices. Make sense? Yeah. Am I making sense? Is yeah. this connecting for yeah. you? Yeah. So, so in, in that moment, if you pause, just breathe, would you? Just sit upright a moment. Just 
into your length, into your width, into your depth. Just pay attention. But breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth and focus your full attention on your breath. Would you do that, please? You can't change anybody, but you can direct their attention with intention. So pause, breathe, and settle until there's a simple sense of stillness. Note, note any stillness, huh? Just any stillness. God says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. And then here's the question again. What do I enjoy doing that I believe I do well and I find deeply satisfying? And from this place of stillness, just see what comes to your mind. I used to enjoy entertaining, as Nick said. I wanted to be a stand-up comedy, that, uh, a comedy, an improv guy who would warm up a crowd for bands. And, and I was on my way to California, and God interrupted me, and he brought me to my senses. And I saw myself, and I got it, and it changed the direction of my life. Now that's me. That's my story. What's your story? What's something small that you've enjoyed, you believed you did well, and you found satisfying? If we're going to go into that in a minute. That tells you everything you need to know. It's wired within you. See, we're made by design. We have boundary conditions. There is only one Nick. There is only one Rick. And there's only one you. Isn't it amazing how... Is this... Are we this tracking? Is yeah, yeah. What do you want to do with this? I right? think this is amazing about your experience, you know, traveling to California and, um, you know, that the era and the time you did that, I don't understand. I wasn't alive at that time. Yeah. Like, I, that was a different generation, yeah. right? Um, you drove across California. Did you have I a cell actually, phone? I actually hitchhiked. Hitchhiked. Yeah. Oh, man. Did you have a cell phone? Uh, like, did you use Google Maps? No, I, I don't did even you, think I had um, any money with me. Did uh, you, like, you didn't have, like, the cash app? Or, no, no, I didn't have know, the cash app. To pay your way across? Yeah, yeah. Or you, like, didn't Uber your way? I didn't Uber my way across, no. And it's amazing. How did you see? I mean, um, it, it, I think it's remarkable how our experiences, how generationally we've experienced some similar things. You know, there's generation who... It was born in the early 2000s, and, and September 11th has been such a formational thing. Mm -hmm. The pandemic has been so formational. Or, you know, for my generation, uh, the, the, uh, in America at least, the, the, uh, when the Challenger shuttle blew up, like we're in elementary school, we're kids, and we're watching this live, uh, this tragedy happen in front of us, and we're trying to process that. And, 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 you know, generations of Vietnam or, or, or the Great Depression or wars and, and, and all of those things have so shaped us. Yeah. And God didn't just throw us in as like soft putty yeah. and those just shaped us. Yes. But God like wired us to meet those experiences and to be shaped in a certain way. Yes. Isn't it amazing? Like God intentionally said, I'm going to make this generation wired like this, and then they're going to experience this, and it's going to hardwire or, or, yes. or yeah. wire this yeah. certain way. And when we recognize 
the, the shaping and the strengths and, and how we're wired, we recognize that purpose, that like, I'm here to, to do this specific purpose. I'm, I'm here for this yeah, reason, yeah. individually, but also generationally. And, and, and this idea of General Dwight D. Eisenhower, like going to D-Day, he did what he did so well because he recognized not the differences, they all had differences, he recognized the strengths that he brought to the table. And you bring strengths to the table that I do not bring to the table. And I bring strengths to the table that you don't bring to the table. Not because one's better than the other, but because we're from different eras, we're from different experiences, God wired us differently. And I think about how formational uh, our experiences paired up with God's wiring are. Yes. to who we become and what we become and who we are and, and, and how we can fulfill God's ultimate purpose of redeeming the world. Like, uh, when we, we, we shut off that and we so often, you know, you know, get into like, hey, I don't like boomers because of this yeah. or millennials are, you know, and Gen Z, they're just lazy or this or that. And, and we, we miss the beauty and the gift that they are, that all of us, bring to the table. And I, I think about like just in history, think about you know, the, the Israelites that were alive when Moses led them out of Egypt. I mean, they had been enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt, generation after generation, that's all they knew. And then all of a sudden, this promise that had been passed down from generation to generation to generation, it was like a family heirloom that was passed down, like one day God is gonna do this, he promised it. And then another generation would pass and it didn't happen. And then one day it's gonna, and it never happened. And then this generation came about where like they're watching the miracle of God take place right in front of them. How formational that must have been to be the first generation to step foot out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and to, to be led by Moses. Like how remarkable that must have been. And, 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 and this, I wanna just speak to this. Like how, how impacting are those kind of uh, uh, big rock moments, yeah. like those, those milestones that shape us individually but also shape us generationally? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a profound question and I'm, I'm actually uh, in awe of it. <clears throat> um, catalytic events, yeah. catalytic occurrences, they're experiences we have individually and collectives that, that make us who we are. And that's certainly the history of God's people and it's certainly the experience of those of you in this congregation. And recognize that we're influenced historically. Now, historically things happen, but they become hysterical. They stick with us. Yeah. And, and sometimes, the, a lot of time, those things aren't helpful. And they require healing, trauma, okay? But then some of these are really good and we want to nurture them. We want to nurture them. So catalytic events shape us. I want to go back to what I introduced here, that we all have our own catalytic events. But they're familiar. They're hidden in plain sight. When you bake a cake, when you teach kids, when you fix a house, build a house, when you share from a stage, and it's uniquely you, that actually is reinforcing the uniqueness of who you are. That's a catalytic event. Same thing is true with cultures. 
I'm saying that, I'm, I'm always aware I speak this language called Wallachian. Mm -hmm. Now, you're able to decipher that. Yeah. What are you saying what I'm saying that gives substance to the question you ask yeah. me? I think, I think there's something remarkable about recognizing the catalytic events and the strengths that they hardwire in us. Yes. And sometimes we, uh, and I've heard this saying many times, that um, hard uh, seasons in our world create strong generations yes. to follow. Yeah. And, you know, practically in our world, um, we've walked through a pandemic in the last, you know, three, four years, and, and I have four kids, and I know what has been said of, of, of this time is like, this is gonna ruin these children. They, they experienced education in a way we never have before. They've experienced trauma and, and anxiety, oh. and, and there's so much that they have, there's so much that has shaped them for the, for the, for the bad that we, we see. Um, but also, I mean, history is such an incredible teacher. If you go back to the 1930s, what would have been said about if we had 24-7 news cycles and social media, which you didn't at that time, what would have been said about the children who, who, were, who were being raised in the middle of the Great Depression? How horrific. There's no food. They, they, there's no money. There's no resources. Like, oh, we don't know if they're going to make it another day. Like, how horrible is this? But, but now, history, we look back and we say, man, that, that, that painful, hard, catalytic event wired that generation yeah. to a point where we now refer to that generation as the greatest generation. Not just age, the greatest generation. And, and I look at these catalytic events that uh, hardwire in us hardwire entire generations that we look at, man, the, the negative side of it, like how difficult, but what is learned in that? What is the strength in that? What is the strength that is, is developed in that? And um, we, we generationally look at others and we see all of the weaknesses, but my hope today is that we, rec we, could, we could step back and, and stop looking at the weaknesses and start looking at the strengths. Like, start looking at what this, what yeah. the incredible gift you are to me. Like, you are a gift to me, mm. and I am blessed by that because of the wisdom you bring into my life. You have never taught me how to use TikTok. Um, you, you haven't. Don't, don't ever try with I know, me. I know, it's, you, see, I know. See, I, I got my Bible. And I got my and, iPad. And you got right? your iPad. That um, says it all right there. <laughs> but you have a strength that I don't possess. Yeah. Yeah. You have lived life and experienced things at a high level that I haven't, uh. and I learn from that, and I glean from that. And I think when we stop looking at the weaknesses of a generation, but we can lean into the strengths and recognize this person in my life, this, this coworker, <clears throat> is so difficult, and they're so annoying because they keep going on and on about how much they hate cell phones or yeah. how much yeah. they hate technology yeah. Yeah. or... They can't figure out the internet, uh, the World Wide Web. Yes. Um, and yeah, and yeah. They're, fr you're, they're, you're frustrated by that. And you're like, step back for a second. Stop being frustrated and recognize they've got a whole world of wisdom yes. that you don't possess. And, and maybe, maybe you're older and you're like, I get frustrated at these kids. All they do is look at their cell phones and I'm sick of it and I'm tired of the technology. Step back for a second and, and ask them, learn from them, recognize the strength that they provide about how you interpret what's happening in our world, because you interpret it differently than they do. And, and recognizing the strengths is recognizing we're all part of this bigger war, not war in that sense, but we're all part of this bigger goal of redeeming the world from what sin has broken. And if we're constantly fighting with each other or, or looking at each other's weaknesses, 
We, we, we will never have a D-Day invasion. Like, we'll never have that, those moments that God actually moves the ball forward, that his love, his grace is shared with the world because we're so focused on our faults, our weaknesses. If, if, if the English, uh, the British soldiers were uh, so focused on how the, the uh, um, uh, French soldiers or, or the, uh, you know, um, uh, whatever other you know, soldiers were there, the Polish soldiers couldn't speak English, then, then they would have never accomplished their goal. And, and if we can recognize the strengths that we each bring to the table, uh, we're able to lean into those more. Absolutely. Right? If we recognize what you see is what you get, so pay attention who and what you're looking at yes. and how you go about what you really, really want. Because we get so blinded by our, our biases. Okay, and, okay and, so... Yeah. Let's hang this. I'm looking at the clock. It's yeah. 11. We got yeah. four minutes. Yeah. Something okay. Like that. Okay. So what we were gonna do is not gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. Is you good with that? We're we're, we're going. Okay. Yeah. And you're a force of nature. I don't know about that. Uh, I, it, it is. Isn't he a force of nature? <laughs> Isn't he a force of nature? I, I'm sitting Some up here with force. Yeah. Yeah. yeah power. And, and that's what I delight in. But we can make a shift. We can make a shift from judgment and concern and critique to curiosity. We can enter into inquiry with one another. Rather than talk, we listen. Rather than receive, we give. Rather than lead, we follow. It's that simple if you pause. Remember, I, I just, I call, how about pausing? Pause, shift, and redirect. Pause, shift, and redirect. And simply be curious. Be curious about yourself. What do I enjoy doing? What do I believe I do well? What do I find satisfying? Actually, we had this thing set up where you were going to talk to one another and we can't do it. Maybe, maybe I can come back. Would yeah, that be yeah, possible? Yeah. I'm not trying to sell anything. No, no, no. I'm just, we could do something like that. Do you have like a two-for-one Tupperware I, deal? Oh, oh, yeah, two-for-one Tupperware, yeah. But this is it. Instead of being critical and judgmental, be curious. Instead of focusing on differences, let's explore this together. Let's look at it together. Instead of being cynical about another person, Say, what is this about me? And instead of making assumptions, ask questions. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's huge. That, that just ask, ask again. I, lo I love the picture, that curiosity. First Corinthians 12, Paul is talking about the body. He uses <laughs> this analogy of the body. And he says, there are many parts, but there's one body of them all, okay? There's many parts, there's many pieces. And if the hand were constantly being cynical, of the ear, uh, the hand wouldn't know what to do because the ear wouldn't be able to hear to direct the hand, you know? And, and we become cynical of the other that we miss the curiosity of what that other can provide and what we can provide. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we recognize the synergy of all of those working together, uh, just the, the basic idea of walking takes the, the, the working together of so many different pieces in our, in our body. And as a church, just functioning, showing the love of God and redeeming this broken world takes all of us 
working together and not being cynical, but being curious, like you said. It's so good. Maybe that's the point of this morning. Maybe that's the point. What we know gets in the way of what we need to learn. Yeah, that's good. What we know gets in the way of what we need to learn. If we can stop, shift, and redirect our attention with intention. With intention. And it's true of God. I I love this story. One more minute. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Uh, Actually, I'm not going to do it. I was going to talk about Jacob when he woke up. But we can, we can wake up. You, you remember when he wakes up from the ascending angels? Yeah. And he goes, wow. He thought to himself, God was here all along, and I wasn't aware of it. And that's it. Everything we need, we have everything we have. And we simply have to witness it and wake up and shift. And if you want to do that with yourselves, I've given you a way to do it. If you want to do it with God, remember that he's greater than our thoughts, but closer than our thoughts. And if we want to do it with one another, we shift from judgment to curiosity. We shift from conflict to looking at it together. We shift from defensiveness to looking at ourselves and we shift from just coming to conclusions to asking more questions there's a great question I ask myself because it's so challenging Rick what does love want me to do right now what is love pulling me into as me, through me? What is love saying to me right now? Can I value you? Can you value me? And it's a simple, I'll give you a simple phrase. Then we need to stop, don't we? We No, we need to stop. There's a phrase I use. Learned it actually with my my kids and then then I use it with clients. And that is, uh, ask uh, Ask people, ask people about themselves. Maybe a topic comes up and listen and and just say, hey, may I show you what I'm seeing? Show you what I'm seeing. And ask them, what are you seeing in what I'm saying? And then respond again. This is what I'm seeing and what you're saying. And hey, can we look at this together? Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So good. And we witness and we wake up and we shift and we eliminate the judgments. God doesn't look at this that way. So what's useful? What, what do you take away? Now, you're going to stay. I'm going to leave. What can you, can you stay, work you with? Now, what, can you, what can you work with here? I think I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, but I, I think what, what we want to do is to, uh, to ask those questions you're talking about. Yeah. Because I think um, we live in a culture where we make more statements than we ask questions. Um, whether it's mm. on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or wherever, we're really good at making statements, but... Um, we're not as wired today uh, to ask questions. What if we can ask questions? We learn more 
by asking questions and making statements. Making statements, we gather people who already know what we know. Asking questions, we are able to gather information that we couldn't have known. It, it, it's so important. Yeah. Can I add one piece? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, one, can you hang with me one piece? Here's a fundamental need we all have. We have a need to be seen. We have a need, a deep, thick desire to be soothed. We have an equally big, huge desire to be safe. I can be who I am, where I am, as I am with you. And that allows us to be secure. We can take risks. I can be who I am, where I am, with whomever I with, with whatever we're doing. It's for freedom that Christ has made us free. I love what you're saying there. So when we recognize who we are, when we recognize what we are, we have the freedom to, to step into those bold risks. Bold, take those bold we, we risks. We don't take bold yeah. risks uh, without that. And kind of tying this back to what we talked about at the beginning, um, history would have shown us a D-Day invasion would have been an absolute disaster. It would have been the Bay of Pigs all over again, if you know that, but it would have been disaster uh, if all the parties involved didn't know what they brought to the table and the strengths they brought to the table. And part of that, the first step of that is you knowing what you bring to the table. And I, I, I so appreciate just yeah. what you've walked us through uh, today, Rick. And what I wanna encourage you to do, when you came in today, you got a card. And uh, last week, if you were with us, we had a little homework, school's out, so we're giving you homework. We have it again this week. So um, if you hate homework, I'm sorry, there's no tests. Um, but I want you today, this week, I want you to write down what you think are your three greatest strengths on the front. So you, what you think, no one else's input. What do you think are your three greatest strengths? And then I want you to find three people from different generation, older or younger, and I want you to ask them what they think are your greatest strengths and compare the two. What you're doing here is you're asking questions, not making statements. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're being curious. And, and sometimes what we think are our strengths aren't what others see as our strengths. And sometimes people see things in us that we think, I enjoy that, but I didn't realize like you see that as a strength in me. I want you to write down on one side, what are my three greatest strengths? And then ask three people from a different generation, so not like your best buddy that you, you know, I'm talking about someone who's older or someone who's younger. Intentionally, someone from a different generation that, that knows you, so not some, don't just like walk up on the sidewalk, Main Street, Irwin, and be like, hey, I know we just met. What are my strengths? Yeah, 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 yeah. Were you gonna add something? No, I, oh. I was gonna ask if I could pray. Yes, 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 yeah, we're yeah. gonna pray, yeah. Yes, give but me you a gotta finish. Give me a second, let me finish. Okay, go, go ahead. So I want you to do that this week. You write three, your three strengths on the back, ask three people of a different generation that know you, so not strangers, uh, what they think are your three greatest strengths. And then compare the two, reflect on the two. Take that, what, what, what uh, Rick so uh, eloquently communicated there. Take the time to pause and to process. Yeah. What does this mean? Yeah. 
What does this mean for me? Because the more aware we are of our strengths, the more aware we are of others' strengths, the better we can work together towards this ultimate goal of redeeming what the world, what's broken in the world because of sin. What, what, what sin has broken horribly, we get to be part of this amazing mission God has sent us on to redeem it, to make it whole. Amen. And we'll never be able to do that effectively if we don't know our strengths, if yeah. we can't lean in yeah. to those strengths. So Rick, could you, could you close us out in prayer, pray for us today? What do you enjoy doing? What do you believe you do well? And what do you find deepest and most satisfying? Father, I ask even now that you would impart to each and all of us a sensibility about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made fearfully and wonderfully made and how you call us out of who we actually are to be who we are where we are as we are with whoever we're with and that's our work which you ordained from the beginning of time Father I ask and Holy Spirit I ask that you we ask ourselves what is love asking of me today through me as me and we can invest our best wherever we are at home or at work or play in any relationship all to your glory and to our edification Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for Nick. Thank you for the incredible privilege of being here this day. We worship you. We're in awe of you. You are awesome. In Christ's name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Pohl, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 